this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 95, the fourth part of the history of the six-day races. In this episode, the 500-mile six-day barrier is finally broken, and the first six-day race in history is held. Wow! I would like to thank many of you who have signed up to be a patron for Ultra Running History. Here's a shout-out to some of our new Patreon members. Ultra Running legend Kevin Setness of Wisconsin, Sarah Australia of California, and the Tie-Dye Runner. Please help this podcast continue by becoming an Ultra Running History patron. You can sign up to contribute a few dollars each month. Go to ultrarunninghistory.com member to become my partner. Will do. And don't forget, if you want to receive these episodes automatically, subscribe using your favorite podcast app. Now to the story. In 1874, P.T. Barnum of circus fame featured ultra runners who were attempting to reach 500 miles in six days. Barnum convinced paying customers to come to his massive indoor hippodrome in New York City 24 hours a day to watch these seemingly endless walkers. There's a sucker born every minute! Even though the first attempts by Edward Payson Weston and Edward Mullen came up short, see episode 94, America became fascinated by these very unusual efforts of extreme endurance. But with their failures, critics cried out that it was all just a money grab on the gullible public. It wasn't a true race. Experienced athletes and educated doctors believed that walking or running 500 miles in six days was an impossible feat. P.T. Barnum did not care what the critics thought, knowing he had a winning spectacle to spotlight. He was right and would put on the first six-day race in history. By December 1874, Barnum's Circus was back in full operation in New York City in the Hippodrome for the winter season. It was lit by many lanterns, featured chariot races, and presented a menagerie of 600 wild beasts. Barnum turned to a walker other than Weston and hired Professor John Judd to walk at the Hippodrome. Judd had been a gym owner and trainer from Buffalo, New York. He had gained some fame in training boxers and pedestrians. Judd's hometown wrote, Judd is excessively muscular. His professorship being not anything in the line of learning, but simply that of gymnastics. He is a splendidly formed man, but his figure better fitted for boxing or wrestling than for walking. Muscle man! Muscle man! The Hippodrome track was measured carefully the week before the event, where Judd put on a five-mile exhibition walk, including walking backwards while carrying an anvil. I'm, I'm sorry, what? On December 8, 1874, Judd started his attempt, but made very poor progress even on day one as chariot races went around him. By day four, he had reached only 224 miles. By the evening of day five, Judd could not continue. His left knee and his ankles swelled terribly during the day. Toward night, he was suffering great pain. 
He continued to struggle until he had accomplished his 368th mile when he sank exhausted and was carried to his room. The affair had been a failure, and very few spectators were present during the week. Judd would not give up and soon would participate in the first-ever six-day race. Edward Payson Weston had failed three times in New York City to walk 500 miles in six days. Because of the poor treatment he had received by the New York City press, he looked elsewhere for his fourth attempt and went across the Hudson River to the skating rink in Newark, New Jersey. Newark has always seemed like a place where you just kind of end up when you're carrying a lot of bad karma from maybe a past life or something like that. Weston's Newark attempt was on a very tiny indoor track about 16 laps to the mile. On the day after Professor Judd failed in his six-day attempt in the Hippodrome, Weston started his six-day attempt, never on Sunday, shortly after midnight on December 14, 1874. Weston promised to again reach 115 miles during the first 24 hours. He reached 100 miles in 20 hours, 54 minutes, and achieved the 115 miles in 23 hours and 2 minutes. His walk continued very well, with 75 miles on day 2 and 80 miles on day 3. He complained bitterly about the small crowds attending and threatened to go to New York City to finish his walk. Some of the leading citizens came and convinced him that they would take care of it, and he continued. The local newspapers quickly published advertisements persuading people to come to watch. After day four, he had logged 350 miles. He needed to cover 150 miles during the last two days. After logging another 75 miles on day five, Weston said he had been approached by some people offering him thousands of dollars to throw the attempt. He told them to go away, but then suspected that other, quote, New York roughs were plotting to sabotage his remaining effort by throwing pepper and other chemicals at him. The Newark mayor arranged for protection from the police and promised that if the peace could not be preserved, that he would call upon the military. On the last day, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Joe Colburn and his gang for plotting against Weston. Coburn was a prominent boxer. He and his gang had been in trouble with the law before for assault and were involved with gambling. No arrest was actually made. Despite wrenching a hip, Weston pressed on during the last day. He walked at an even pace, cracking jokes and hum tunes. When the band arrived in the early afternoon, he pushed hard in spurts and clocked 11-minute miles. Henry Jarrett, the manager of Booth's Theater, had bet $2,000 on Weston reaching 500 miles. Jarrett sent messages of encouragement to him and received back a reply. Success is assured. I am the hero of the hour. Have me a box for Monday night. I am the greatest. During the last evening, the rink filled up with an enthusiastic crowd of about 6,000 people. The mayor of Newark walked with him a few laps, but quit when he could not keep up, causing roars of laughter to come from the crowd. During the final hour, Weston was joined by the chief of police and other officers who trotted around him, providing protection. 
Fifty men were required to keep the narrow track clear. There was not an inch of room either in the galleries or on the main floor, and the announcements from the judges' stand were awaited with breathless suspense. As each mile was called from the timekeeper's desk, the general enthusiasm bubbled over into cheers, and at times the noise of the band was lost for whole minutes amid the uproar. After walking 58 minutes without a rest, Finally, the last lap for 500 miles arrived. As the six days trial was narrowed to the last strides, and the final step that measured off the greatest feat of physical endurance on record, he fell into the arms of friends who bore the hero in triumph to the stand. Weston finally succeeded reaching 500 miles in six days. He did his work in about 24 minutes less than six days. The feat has never been accomplished before in this country. Then every barrier broke down and came like an avalanche toward the stand, amidst the cheers and the tossing of hats and waving of handkerchiefs. Speeches were given by the mayor and others, but it was hard to hear because of the constant cheering. It was impossible to quiet or disperse the crowd until Weston was taken out. Weston was thrilled to finally reach his long-sought goal. He credited the kind attention he received from the citizens in Newark and said the track he walked on was much better than the one in the Hippodrome. He was wrapped up in blankets and carried by a coach to the mansion house. The next evening, he was received at a reception at the home of one of the most prominent residents of the city. There, he mingled with the rich and had dinner. I'm really rich. Some of the news press gave Weston credit. Weston has been sneered at, laughed at, given all manner of names, but he has kept on trying until at last he has walked into the fullest measure of success. In Brooklyn, Weston has won his walk. We feared he would. He deserves all the credit which must justly belong to any man who makes repeated and patient efforts to accomplish some almost impossible feat and finally succeeds. In Boston, for once, Weston can hardly be called a bore. In Michigan, we take it all back. We have been among them who have experienced some relief in denouncing Weston as a humbug and a habitual boaster who never accomplished what he professed his ability to do. But now he has finally succeeded after so many discouraging failures. The Brooklyn Union speculated prophetically. It may open a new and popular field for sporting men, a sort of high-toned amusement in which men of piety and men of the world may mingle in friendly strife. That seemed like an accurate description of ultra-running in the years to come. But the Boston Post just could not comprehend the benefits of such a sport where a man walks round and round, quote, like a patient horse attached to a rural cider press. Even with his success, there was plenty of negative press. The Newark Courier was highly critical of Weston in an article entitled Humbug Weston. It is astonishing that this man Weston should be tolerated in any community. The main criticism was that Weston would not submit himself to a true judged walk matched against others. When would he participate in a race? 
There are 50 gentlemen amateurs in the city who could walk the heart clean out of him at long or short distances. The courier said that instead of racing, Weston paraded around carrying a hat for innocent people to put pennies in. Weston should procure a hand organ and a monkey, and thus, in a musical manner, he could at least earn the pennies. The article doubted his 500 miles were legit, and concluded in a particular cruel way for that era. Cannot someone in authority have him engaged as a mail carrier in the Indian country and pick him out a good scalping territory? <gasps> Two newspapers in New York City printed charges that the accomplishment was a fraud, that the main judge was one of Weston's men. But these charges of cheating were solely based on the information from an anonymous man who believed Weston was, quote, the grossest humbug that ever practiced in the city. Newark City officials came to his defense. There is not a particle of doubt as to the correctness of the record of this performance. A certificate was created with the signatures of the judges. Despite the criticism, the most credible evidence showed that Weston had accomplished what people of the era thought was impossible and had never been accomplished by legendary Foster Powell, who had started it all. The 500-mile barrier had been broken, ready for others to also achieve it. <music> Professor Judd, seeking fame and fortune, seized on the doubt drummed up by Weston's critics and issued a challenge two months later for Weston to compete against him in what would be the first six-day race in history. Weston at first declined, mentioning that he had promised to next walk against an Englishman. Judd countered that he was indeed born in England. Perhaps P.T. Barnum was behind the challenge, because just eight days later it was announced that Weston accepted Judd's challenge, and arrangements had already been made for the race to be conducted in the New York City Hippodrome. The winner would receive $5,000. It was speculated. Barnum will, with his usual luck, make a small fortune in the speculation. Barnum's the name! P.T. Barnum! And whether you think my humbug is a blessing or a curse, you're still gonna buy it. You know why? Because every 60 seconds in this world, a delightful phenomenon takes place which absolutely guarantees it. There is a sucker born every minute. Because this was the first race of its kind, organizers worried that the two walkers would come in contact with each other during the race. So it was decided that the men would compete on separate tracks. The difference in their lengths had been taken into account. Weston would walk on the inner track. Weston would credit Judd 35 miles. No, Judd would not be given a 35-mile head start he would be credited with 35 miles that he would not walk, requiring Weston to walk 35 miles further by the end of the six days in order to win. That's not fair! About an hour before the race, 200 fans and the two contestants arrived at the Hippodrome and inspected all the arrangements. Weston was clad in black velvet, patent leather gaiters, and black kids, looking as if dressed for a flower show. 
Judd was down to business and wore a blue flannel costume suitable to the occasion. The historic first six-day race began on March 1st, 1875 at 12.13 a.m. Judd took the lead after the first mile, but Weston overtook him on mile two and never gave it up. Weston reached 100 miles in about 21 hours, 39 minutes, and then went on and finished that first day with 107 miles, with Judd, obviously a pretender, far behind at 85 miles. Weston was walking with great pluck, and though apparently a little stiff, was full of grit and confidence. Both men were back on the track at 4 a.m. on day two, but were not moving well. The crowd on hand was very small, but had keen interest watching the two men tramping along the track. Weston was able to pick up the pace later in the day, and Judd was struggling. He looked and walked as though a little weary, and seemed to do almost as much work with his shoulders as with his legs and feet. He slowed to a 20-minute mile pace and started to look lame. Weston kept lapping him, and there seemed to be little doubt that he would beat Judd badly by the end of the week. By the end of day two, Weston finished with 179 total miles to Judd's 149 miles, almost making up the 35-mile advantage given. The press knew that Judd was in trouble. His system of training will need to come out strong pretty soon, or it will be too late to win the race. The old proverb about the tortoise isn't worth a pinch of snuff, opposed to a hare like Weston, with somebody to wake him up every hour. Judd needed to catch up and went back on the track on day three, two hours before Weston. Finally, a larger crowd came to watch, despite a severe snowstorm. Judd still struggled, walked even slower than on the day before. He was described as looking like a man who had just risen from a sickbed. His handlers said Judd had an ugly temper and that it was impossible to please him. He achieved 51 miles during the day, reaching 200. Weston, on the other hand, walked like a man full of courage and grit and a countenance overspread with smiles. He reached 245 miles adding nine more miles before retiring to bed for 254. On day four, the spectators packed the Hippodrome, hoping to watch some good competition. Judd's handlers hoped that he would recover with a long night's sleep. When Judd appeared on the track in the morning, there was no mistaking the signs which showed that he could at most only crawl around the course. He managed to get around the track five times and then needed to rest. He had terribly sore feet and gave up after logging a total of 217 miles by the afternoon. So Weston was the winner, but the show needed to go on to attract spectator interest and Weston needed to go the full six days according to the terms of the agreement with Barnum to win the $5,000. Edward Mullen of Boston, yes, the infamous Mullen from episode 94, came out at 3.45 p.m. to substitute for Judd. He was credited with Judd's 217 miles, plus the 35-mile advantage, for a starting distance of 252 miles. 
Weston, with an 18-mile lead over that figure, was in agreement with this arrangement. Because Mullen was fresh, the crowd enjoyed watching him fly around the track, but soon his pace slowed down significantly. During the time the stunning gas lights were lit for the evening, Weston was walking stiff with a very sore right foot. He reached about 313 miles by the end of the day, still ahead of the Challenger relay tally of 293 miles. Weston had actually widened the lead by two miles since Mullen had taken over for Judd. During the evening, Judd came back out as Weston and Mullen were both walking and added five more miles to his personal tally to reach 222 miles. It was said, His walk was like that of a man of 80. On day five, Mullen suffered from a blistered foot and broke down quickly. He eventually quit at 4.30 p.m., reaching personally 89 miles, bringing the Challenger relay tally to 341 miles. After Mullen left, Weston stopped to give a speech to the audience, boasting about his great performances as a pedestrian and how this race had come about. I am the greatest. Now on deck, George Coyle. A few hours later, George Coyle, an unknown pedestrian who claimed to be the champion of Wisconsin, was brought out as a second replacement for Dud. He started his walk at 8.30 p.m. with a strong pace. At that point, Weston retired to bed with about 364 miles and a 23-mile lead. After a short rest, he came back out, expressed confidence that he would outwalk the new competitor. He showed greater energy than at any time that day, finishing with about 370 miles. Coyle, not sleep-deprived, kept up his walk late into the night after Weston retired. Coyle walked strongly on day six, ever closing the gap on Weston. Both first looked very exhausted, but walked better as the day went on. Weston reached 400 miles at noon. Coyle brought the Challenger relay total, including the 35 bonus miles, to 396, just four miles behind. During the remainder of the day, the walking was comparatively slow, both contestants stopping frequently for refreshments. Toward the end of the historic race, a controversy arose. Mullen boldly came out on the track again to get attention, trying to make up for his embarrassing defeat. He started giving a fast walking exhibition for the audience with permission from the Hippodrome managers. Weston threw a fit, not wanting Mullen to take the spotlight off of him. He demanded that Mullen be removed from the track and warned that if not, he would stop. Weston made his threat good and stopped walking until the police removed Mullen. This caused, quote, considerable dissatisfaction among the rowdy element in the audience. At the end, Weston reached 431 miles. Coyle brought the Challenger relay total to 436 miles, including the 35-mile handicap. Weston claimed that he could have easily reached 500 miles, but took it easy once Judd had quit. The final tally of the first six-day race was Weston, 431 miles, Judd, 222 miles, Coyle, 95 miles, Mullen, 91 miles. Critics of Weston were mostly silent, 
During the first six-day race, not only did he beat his main competition, but he outdistanced two others who joined in on fresh legs. A favorable voice in New York City said, The result of the six days walk has now converted the unbelievers into believers of the most enthusiastic order. Barnum was thrilled with the race. Mr. Barnum, appreciating the unparalleled success attained by this famous pedestrian in defeating three separate and fresh antagonists in the late match, and desiring to give recognition of the wonderful endurance displayed by Mr. Weston, has gendered the gratuitous use of the Hippodrome for a testimonial benefit, the proceeds of which are to be given to Mr. Weston's children. Less than two days after finishing, Weston attempted to walk 50 miles in 11 hours without any food or rest. He came close and reached 46 miles. Well, the first six-day race was history. What would come next? A woman pedestrian in the Hippodrome? Stay tuned for more six-day race history. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.